I'm Tanya Kundari and welcome to the latest podcast from the FAIR Initiative discussing the ESG issues in animal protein supply chains. In this episode, I'm joined by James Ritchie from the International Union of Food Workers, where he focuses on the meat, dairy and catering sectors. We're going to talk about working conditions in the meat processor plants, and you're going to learn about how it impacts on the global health threat that is antimicrobial resistance, the risk of further zoonotic disease outbreaks, and what measures can be put in place to improve health and safety at these plants and beyond. James, how would you say that the regions have compared globally with respect to working conditions generally at the food processes? So thinking about issues such as AMR and obviously how that increases the likelihood of superbugs, placing workers and their families at risk. Are these issues really being addressed by the food processing companies? Yes, I I think it uh, reflects very much uh, how intensive the livestock production is in in a particular region, how much exposure workers would have to antimicrobial resistance or or a particular zoonotic disease. Uh, And so what has been driving a reduction in the use of antibiotics around the world in in animal production has not been um, an outcry from workers or their representatives. It has been consumers concerned about uh, antibiotics in in the food chain. And so um, we've seen uh, various countries and regions move towards less uh, use of antibiotics uh, as in mass dosing of animals, um, either for sick animals or, or preventative uh, reasons, and more um, using antibiotics on sick animals only. And that's certainly something that we would encourage um, on behalf of, of our members that work in, in meat and poultry processing, but also on behalf of, of consumers. Um, we cannot have a world that continues to um, become more and more resistant uh, to antibiotics because of their misuse. And that's what's been happening. And the more intensively the animals are uh, raised, the more likely it is that the farmer is, is using antibiotics as a way of keeping the birds or the animals well to get them to the point where they are slaughtered. And various parts of the world are moving, of course, to reduce or ban the use of antibiotics, uh, mass dosing of antibiotics. And the sooner that happens, the better. And generally as well, what we've found, if we go beyond uh, antimicrobial resistance to the current pandemic, which has been caused by the new coronavirus, is we're finding that when there is such a strong motivation on production and throughput and getting as many animals and birds slaughtered as possible, then we have workers that are working in a condition where line speeds are too fast, where workers are standing closely together, where there is all the kinds of conditions in a workplace that encourage the spread of a disease because workers are too close together. There's a lot of noise in the plants. They have to shout to each other. They're not getting the appropriate protection. So in a kind of perverse way, the more industrial the animal production is, the more uncaring the work is and the more dangerous the work is for the workforce. I always find that really interesting because generally you would think that the importance of economies of scale means that you want to be large and that bigger is better. 
And certainly it seems that in this industry, when you are, you do, are getting particularly large, that's when you're running into these issues, whether it's the antibiotics use that you're talking about in terms of the more intensive the production is, or when it comes to the line speeds and the workers being particularly close together. Um, so would you say, therefore, that with this industry, you shouldn't necessarily be um, focusing on the economies of scale in terms of trying to decide which companies are particularly good, say, generally or particularly bad? Well, it depends um, what the bottom line is. If the bottom line is simply uh, profits, then throughput, size, fast line speeds, uh, all of those things are really important, but it's completely unsustainable. If you want to take into account uh, issues such as the spread of zoonotic diseases and the in the current pandemic we've got now, and, and we're very fortunate that this coronavirus did not come from a domestic animal, but the next one could. But the, the sustainability of the industry in terms of uh, the climate crisis, in terms of animal welfare, in terms of worker health and safety, the more efficiency is designed into these plants like they're an, they're an automobile assembly line, the more intensive that is, the more dangerous it is uh, for the worker and ultimately uh, the consumer. We have seen this news all around the world in terms of the spread that we see in the food processing plants. What is it about them and how it is that they operate and that they are set up? Uh, well, there's a number of factors, and, and I think that what we're discovering more as the pandemic has been progressing and there's been more research into this. But, uh, but the first issue is that when you get anybody crowded together in an inside space um, where there is a, an ability for workers to infect each other, and, and the more people there is in the workplace, the more crowded it is, the less personal protective equipment there is, um, the more likely that that is to happen. So first point is you have many workers in large workplaces and it's inside. The second point is that these workers, uh, the line speeds are so fast that workers have to be in close proximity at their workstation. The third point is that these places are noisy. Workers to talk to each other um, often have to shout to each other. And when they shout at each other, it's more likely that the droplet from an infected person travels uh, to the next person. The fourth point that we're discovering is that this virus seems to really thrive in cool temperatures around 10 degrees Celsius, which is the temperature in these plants. They love it. And, and the other thing that's happening is that the ventilation is very poor, that the air keeps circulating, but doesn't necessarily go outside. It's just the same air circulating. And recently there's been um, uh, scientists, uh, a group of over 200 scientists have written to the World Health Organization to say that there is solid evidence for the aerosol transmission of the coronavirus. We are seeing now that there is some research happening in both Germany and Ireland about aerosol transmission in these plants and the need for workers to be wearing surgery type masks and medical grade air filters to expel the air out of this. So this is the this is the kind of research which is very critical right now to the whole uh, situation to make workers safer uh, in these plants. I was wondering what you would say in terms of what kind of role regulators can actually play in improving the working conditions. So not just looking at COVID and the immediate impact of this, but zoonotic disease generally and how regulators can actually play a part in protecting the workforce and therefore protecting the wider communities as well. 
Well, strong, strong regulation is absolutely essential. And uh, the regulation has to come from government. This is an obligation of governments to make sure that their citizens and those uh, citizens from other countries that may be visiting that country to work are safe, are healthy and safe at work. So strong health and safety regulation is essential, as is enforceability. An increase in labour inspection and ensuring that uh, the regulation is up to date. It reflects the most up to date science and is constantly reviewed and implemented. We must work together on this. Um, and that means uh, regulation which is enforceable. Uh, we've noticed that in large and important meat producing countries like the United States, the regulation around safety has been voluntary. They're voluntary guidelines. And so we've seen companies implement them in full, implement them in part, or not implement them at all. If it is that the voluntary regulations, rather than there's the call and the cry to actually have it be at a governmental level, how can we actually put that pressure on regulators and, and encourage an improvement in, in their regulations and in their standards? Well, I think that the companies are, have a tendency to look at the short-term profits and, and, of course, rigorous health and safety uh, provisions are, are a cost in one sense to the business, although we would argue they're an investment in the business. And our affiliates, unions in the workplace, play a very important role in making sure that where there are health and safety standards, even if they are voluntary ones from a government, that they are implemented in full. And that is done by negotiation between the union and the employer. And it is absolutely essential that risk assessments in situations like this, uh, a risk analysis is made, there is hazard identification, there is a strong effort a combined effort by the union and the employer uh, to eliminate hazards where possible, isolate those hazards where it's not possible, and uh, minimise exposure through appropriate uh, personal protective equipment to, as a last resort. And all of those things need to happen in a systematic way. Now, you've also mentioned unions and um, highlighted the importance in, that they play in terms of keeping their workforce and ultimately the company itself um, safe. Now, would you be able to talk about discrepancies or um, disparities that you see when it comes to union representation or uh, when it comes to potentially how employees are actually brought into these plants and how that can impact the weight that unions can carry or how that can impact the safety and working conditions that these employees are actually in? It's a fundamental right of every worker to be able to work in a, in a healthy and safe working environment. And um, the International Labour Organization Convention 155 outlines all the provisions of, of health and safety in the workplace. And there's various national legislation that backs that up everywhere. Um, and uh, it is also for a worker to be able to exercise their right to ensure that there is a healthy and safe work environment, they have to be able to access other rights. And those are the two core other rights are the rights of workers to join a union and enter into collective bargaining with their employer to ensure that there's healthy and safe workplace as well as other provisions. The exception is that meat companies have found that they can reduce costs by outsourcing employment, by using contractors and subcontractors to deliver labour to their uh, processing plants. That labour generally comes from Eastern Europe, where 
wages paid are considerably lower than they than are being paid in Western Europe. Those um, workers have often been shamelessly exploited by employment agencies who have delivered the workers to the meat companies and the meat companies have turned their eyes away and refused to take responsibility, refused to acknowledge the most appalling exploitation that's been happening. Now, in those situations, those workers don't have access to join a union because they have no tenure, they have no security of employment. They're temporary workers. They will end up on the next um, bus back to um, their home country or they'll just be abandoned wherever they, they happen to be, in which country they happen to be at a particular time. It's the same in agriculture, it's the same in construction, it's the same in meat, meat processing. This is an absolute disgrace to the European Union. It has to act to stop this. To its credit, Germany is introducing legislation to outlaw subcontracting in the meat processing industry. We will certainly hope that that legislation passes. It's being introduced by the government, by the cabinet, so we um, we have every expectation that it will pass. But it is not just an issue in Germany. It's an issue in the Netherlands, it's an issue in Spain, and it's an issue in a number of other countries as well. But it sounds like it is a very Eurocentric issue there. So we don't see the same subcontracting going on in the USA or in Australia, New Zealand. We see different issues in the USA, Australia and New Zealand. In the USA, in North America generally, uh, it is migrant labour. It is refugees often uh, that work in these plants. Those workers have been hired directly by the companies, but they're still regarded as disposable labour. So uh, many of these workers are undocumented workers, so that they're frightened about being deported back to their home country. They are are there often by the grace of the employer continuing their employment. And uh, so there are all those pressures that force workers in those situations to put up with inferior working conditions, inferior health and safety. Now, um, the answers to that are, and we know that affiliate in the United States, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union uh, does an enormous amount of work working with migrant workers to make sure that they become regularised, they get their documentation, they are become the, that fear is taken away from their working conditions. So wherever there's working conditions where workers have fear of being dismissed and deported, then exploitation flourishes. In Brazil, we have major meat companies that have the air of government that, that, that are constantly lobbying the government to keep operating an extremely dangerous situation under COVID-19 and are also lobbying to remove the very good health and safety legislation that exists in Brazil in the meat and poultry processing um, regulations called NR36. Now, there is a strong push at the moment to have those repealed fully or in part, and that would further decrease the the protections or reduce the protections that workers have in Brazil. So different mechanisms in different parts of the world, but uh, insecurity and fear leading to workers being unable to access their rights is a common theme. Moving away from the macro-governmental level and looking down to the consumers and the customers of of these companies. So when it comes to the meat processors, 
what kind of power would you say that their customers have when it comes to the retailers, the fast food chains? And how is it that they can actually play a part in terms of trying to um, increase standards and keep the working conditions at these companies safer? I think that it's the role of um, organisations like ours, like the IUF, like our, and our affiliates, to keep raising that link between worker health and safety and food safety. I think that in the in the current pandemic, the whole curtain has been pulled back on worker conditions in meat and poultry processing. And I think that's really helpful because the world is now looking in. Our consumers can look in and see how their meat is being processed at the moment. And it's not a pretty sight. And so I think that that consumer pressure towards governments to regulate, towards companies to prevent ways in which workers can be exploited in a number of ways is all is all very important. And on the side of the retailers as well? Yes, the retailers have, a, have an important role here. Um, the retailers are very dominant in the food industry. Um, they often control uh, price and uh, what the meat companies and uh, get for their product and what and then down the chain to what farmers get for their product, etc. They have a role in uh, human rights due diligence. The OECD guidelines um, for multinational enterprises require, oblige uh, transnational corporations to ensure that human rights are respected in their supply chain. And in order to do that, the big retailers have to pay more attention to their uh, meat supply chain. They have to look into the big meat companies. Um, they have to be saying, where's this, where's this meat coming from? And what are the working conditions where this meat is being processed and packaged? And is there any exploitation? What's the health and safety like? What's the um, ability of those workers to access their rights like? And they need to work with unions in terms of doing that human rights due diligence because it's all too easy to complete an auditing checklist by ticking all the boxes on any particular day. But workers, when they're organised into a union, are able to be the, the health and safety, the workplace conditions, the food safety auditors, seven days a week, 24 hours a day when they're in the plant all of the time. So that's how retailers really must engage with um, processing unions to do appropriate human rights due diligence and put pressure on those suppliers. I'll just add, Tenny, there is another issue here, of course. It is those same retailers that are pushing for the price down all the time, wanting the um, meat companies to supply meat at the same cost or less cost than they did last year, and they want to pass those cheaper prices on to the consumer. This is another problem in the whole system. You cannot build an industry, you cannot build a healthier and safer workplace, you cannot make it more sustainable, you cannot slow the line speeds down, you cannot attend to animal welfare and the environment when the retailer is saying every year I want that meat for a cheaper price than I paid last year. So that this leads us to the whole question about is meat too cheap? And that leads us to a question of, well, how does everybody have access to this protein in, a, in an affordable way? So none of this is easy, but we can't run away from it. We can't hide from these, these questions. 
Yes, and so we we talk about the retail and the, so and the consumer talks about the government and now I I want to talk about the owners of these companies, so the investors in these companies. Now at Fair, obviously, we do engage a lot with our investment members and our investor network to engage with these companies in terms of trying to drive change. Uh, we have engaged on antibiotics. We um, have engaged on on working conditions. And particularly through COVID, we have focused on that as well. Now, I'm just wondering, when it comes to um, your perspective, what is it that you would also want to see more of from investors as stewards of capital in, in order to encourage this systemic change that you call for within this industry? I mean, first of all, it, it can't be, um, we have to change uh, from a model of just the amount of the, the value of the share and the um, amount of dividend that's coming in each each quarter, each year, and so on, and and look at a much wider um, basis for accounting, for, for judging the success of an organisation. A much longer term view in terms of how will the value improve how will wealth be created over the next five years ten years and how will it be sustained rather than what's going to happen in the next quarter or the next year and 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 in order to do that we really would encourage investors to take into account the working conditions uh, health and safety um, are workers being paid a living wage is there access to important social benefits? What we didn't talk about before with regard to COVID is the importance of having access to paid sick leave, adequate paid sick leave. So when workers are in isolation or sick, they're not through economic pressures forced to come back to work and infect other workers. And so is the social benefits in this workplace, are they there? Is it sustainable? Is the, is the food safe? Do we have a workforce that is engaged in this particular production process in a way in which they're the, they're the stewards of food safety? They're the stewards of health and safety in the workplace. They're the stewards of the company, if you like. They have a, they have a stake in the company by feeling that they, they benefit from the success of, of the enterprise. So we'd also want investors to really think hard about the climate crisis. How can we change the model of animal production? How can we move to a different farming models that take care of the planet? And what sort of measures do we need to take to stop the next virus jumping from an animal uh, to humans so we have another pandemic and, and zoonotic diseases being a threat, not of course just to workers in the industry, but to everybody, to the whole world. And so it's, it's that duty of care it's the duty of care to the worker, it's the duty of care to the consumer, and it's a duty of care to the environment that we would um, encourage investors to look at in terms of their investment in an enterprise which we hope will be uh, of benefit to them as investors long term and, and uh is able to take care of the community as well. James, thank you so much. That has been a really interesting um, conversation. Uh, there's certainly a lot for us to unpack, and I know that we could have been talking for much, much longer, um, but I will leave it there for now. I'm hoping that um, our listeners will find a lot of uh, food for thought for them and also uh, certain specific actions that they can actually take in terms of trying to en engage with these companies and encourage change within this industry when it comes to the working conditions. Thank you very much, Tinny. It's been um, very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find more information on FAIR and the research we produce by visiting our website, www.fair.org. 
Until the next time, goodbye.